The Be Effective podcast is brought to you by Effective Fitness Training. EFT is a performance-driven fitness program designed to improve individual performance. Created by our team of physical therapists, strength conditioning coaches, nutrition specialists, and a team of active and former law enforcement with over 100 years combined experience. EFT is developed for those who want the most comprehensive fitness plan available. Use promo code PODCAST at checkout for 10% off the life of your membership. Welcome to the Be Effective Podcast, episode 58, Mr. Brent Tucker. Brent joined the United States Army following September 11th, 2001. Earned his Green Beret in 04, and as a Green Beret, he served in both Afghanistan and Iraq. After eight years of service with the Green Berets, he successfully completed the military's most demanding selection process and training course, earning the right to be a member of the nation's most elite unit, Delta Force. After retiring, Brent started hosting training classes for law enforcement in response to the defund the police movement. He's helped with two fundraising nonprofit organizations, one to help law enforcement in need of training, the other to help fight human trafficking. Currently, Brent started his own business called First Responder Coffee Company, RFCC for short, where portions of every sale will go back supporting the first responder community with training, equipment, and mental health support. That was a very watered-down version of what Brent has accomplished in his military career. He has the highest level of training and has done a lot of things around the world and brings a lot of experience to this podcast. We talk a lot about his leadership and how he leads and the type of individuals that were in his units. Very, very in-depth episode as it pertains to leadership and the issues that we see as Law Enforcement Day and what he's doing with his experience to help law enforcement become better. If you're new to the show, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. Great episode, guys. Without further ado, episode 58, Mr. Brent Tucker. Enjoy. Brent, tell people who you are. My name is Brent Tucker. Just retired uh, from the from the Army. Joined right after 9-11. Uh, spent half my 20-year career as a Green Beret. The other half at the unit, the Delta Force. And uh, got out. Started uh, training cops, started doing some contract work, done some nonprofit work, and now I uh, started a, a coffee company. There, there it is in a nutshell. There it is. That was the quickest 15 <laughs> seconds uh, thing I've ever heard. Interview over. Yeah, interview. Anyways, guys, thank you for the podcast. Uh, next up, no, uh, Brent, thank you for spending time with me this morning. And I think, you know, we have we obviously spoken offline. And that was a very humble, uh, a very humble intro. Let's kind of go, if you can talk about a little bit more about what you did in the unit and then kind of translate over into kind of what you're doing now. Yeah. Um, so like I said, I actually spent a little over 10 years there. I was an, I was an assaulter for a little over half of that. And then I went over to, uh, to, to recce, did some long gun work and some, some low vis work and, uh, ended, ended my, ended my career still, still on a team. So it was a it was it was a long time to be on a team, but wouldn't uh, would, wouldn't have it any other way. Still hit all the all the major combat zones: Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria. Then, of course, you know, quick trips all over the world. Uh, it was just a it was a it was a it was a wild ride, to be honest with you. Is sometimes people describe it as like a uh, living the rock star lifestyle on a on a poor man's budget, and uh, that's that's a that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty good way to describe it. Yeah, I. Uh... I can't relate by any means, but <laughs> you know, with your time in there, cause you were in a leadership capacity, correct? 
yes. the time in the unit. So obviously you guys are tier one, top of the line, the best of the best in the world as it pertains to special operations, right? There is no, I would assume that there's no room for second best. There's no room for error, no room for, well, this guy might be good, right? It's got to be best of the best. Would that be correct? That that would be correct, um, but there, there's a little bit of a, a of a caveat to that. Um, believe it or not, we also know people aren't perfect. So when you say like you know best of the best, no no room for error, uh, that's that's true to a degree. You know when when you go when we went through the the, the training pipeline, I, I I made mistakes all the time. You know I, I didn't I didn't make perfect runs. No one does to to this day. I couldn't go in a house and make a perfect run, but uh, not making the same mistake twice. And learning from it and being adaptable is is such a a huge quality in a person that uh, I believe high performing organizations should look for. You know, sometimes we we had this saying: we're not looking for the best guy, we're looking for the right guy. And that that, that seemed like it was, but it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I was like, well, wouldn't the best guy be the right guy? Right. But it's not true. You know, uh, you know, a, a complete stud will come through the course. But he's just not the right guy to to be at the unit. Uh, it, it takes more than just being the best. You know, you have to you have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to work with a team. You have to be a problem solver. So you can be one hell of a performer, but not be the right guy to 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 work at the most elite unit in the world. So I can see what that means. It's just like with law enforcement. You may have a guy that's a phenomenal shooter, great tactician. You know, great defensive tactics, but maybe can't talk to a person, right? It's very little social skills and half and yeah. 90% of the job is talking to people, right? You're not, you're not, you're not talking to walls. You're not going on missions where it's just a snatch and grab or whatever the case may be. It's, 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 you are having conversations with people. So I think that's a really good, I think it's a major issue that the law enforcement community is facing is, is there's very capable people out there, but are the right people in the right positions? Yeah, that actually that that reminds me of something. So we, we talk a lot about you know changing gears. So you know you may be the best at this, but it, we do so much more than than just snatch and grabs. I mean, the the same guy may be doing a snatch and grab, and the next day he's expected to to be at an embassy. Well, right. you know the the knuckle dragger that you know you think would be you know is on target isn't necessarily the guy that should be in a suit talking to an ambassador the next day. But we're looking for the guy that you know that can do both. We're looking for the guy that can work on a team, you know, on a on a two or three man team, or by himself, and a guy that can work with, you know, in, indigenous forces. Like you, you we're really looking for a guy who can change gears. And when it comes to law enforcement, sometimes, and I, I have to say this because I've, I've done an interview before, and if you don't say it the right way, you get a lot of flack. I'm a massive believer in our law enforcement. I wouldn't have created a first responder supporting company if I didn't. So when I say things like, I believe they need better training, that's not a hit on the law enforcement and the men and women that carry out the job. I, I still go on ride alongs with cows on a ride along with, uh, uh, with orange County just last week. And I saw the guys do great things every now and again, I see them put in a position that they weren't prepared for and they make a mistake. That's not a hit against our law enforcement. That's a hit against the, the culture and what we've, provided for our law enforcement. So there are times all that comes around back to say, I don't think at times they do a good job of changing gears to where mentally 
they're in a really high stress, uh, really high risk scenario, and they don't pick up on the indicators to switch gears to say, okay, let's let's bring it back down. And yet you have to be able to do that, whether that's, you know, at a, at a tier one unit or, you know, a, a patrolman. The ability to mentally switch gears is is tough. It is. It is. And the ability to control emotions is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Is, you know, there was a video and I'll send it to you after the podcast that, you know, you're professional regardless of the response, like regardless of the call you're going to, you know, um, and you have to maintain that level of profession. And it is sometimes very difficult to to put emotions aside. Um, just like you said, high level training can help combat that from time to time, you know, especially as it pertains to like hands-on use of force and stuff like that. Like if a guy's not showing his arms, like, you know, you don't have to beat the living shit out of him. To get his <laughs> out, right. Like, <laughs> right. does that, does that yeah. work? Maybe at some point it'll work, it, but it's right. not necessary by any means, you know, there's plenty of things to do there. And you know, you brought up a really good point. Cops do what I would consider probably the toughest job stateside. Right, like it's one of the toughest jobs. You you are expected to you are expected to be perfect, right? In every situation, you're expected to be an you know expert driver, marksman, medical lawyer, uh, tactician, right. uh, defensive tactician. Like uh, right. everybody's expecting absolute perfection. And one, you're not paying the cops enough to do that. More importantly, you're not giving them the resources because a lot of them don't really care about the money. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's kind of more of a mission for them, and it's just kind of a calling. And I mean, you know, just like you said. They're thrown into situations that are like, I don't know what to do. I've never been here, so I'm going to improvise. And that's where we talk about the right person who can critically think and then adapt to right. just a circle. It's, it's almost worse than that. Everything you said is absolutely true. They probably have one of the hardest jobs in America. And then with almost zero leeway to make a mistake. And if they do, it's recorded. <laughs> and, name, and your life can be over. Yeah, name another job that 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 you work outside of maybe pro sports. They're recorded, you know. But outside of that, where if you make a mistake, everyone gets to see it. That's right, pro sports, man. And that's like one thing. I'm like, okay, these guys get paid millions, <laughs> that, that, that's millions right. of dollars. That's right to do to play a game that kids play. I don't really follow sports. Uh, I usually follow grappling and the UFC mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. But I, I mean, I I will watch it. My wife likes college football and stuff like that. And I'll watch from time to time if, you know, like a buddy wants to watch it, but usually I'm more interested in the food being cooked. Um, Right. Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of my thing. But as it, you know, kind of pertained to finding that weakness, whether it's a, whether it's a weakness within a person or the person is, is the weakness of the team. How did you, I guess, kind of, for example, like let's say one of your guys uh, wasn't up to par with, let's just say very generalized here. Yeah. CQB. Okay. Right. How would you kind of address that with him? Would you give him extra attention? Would you send him to different schools? Like how would you address that as a leader? Yeah. It it is a very unique place to work because everyone everyone's motivated. You know, from the get-go, there's you know, there's posters on the wall, and I'll never forget this saying, and it's, and it's absolutely true when you show up to training. It says a, a man that's required to be driven is not is not worth the drive. I shouldn't have to tell anyone that they're not doing good. They know it. They're here to be the best. They, they're. You have to be self-aware to know that. And sometimes that, that that's a massive problem. So first of all, first off, does he is he self-aware enough to know that he had a bad run or that he's the weak link? We rarely, rarely have to deal with that problem. Um, so if there's self-awareness there, you'll immediately see it. You know, they'll let's say you had a bad shooting day. They're normally just back out of the range, spending extra time. 
you know, to, to correct that. So I rarely ever had to talk to anyone about, uh, about performance. The other thing we do, I think really well and people it's uh, it's appropriate in a very uh, high performing environment, but I don't think people would appreciate it in a, in a normal environment. Everything's a competition, everything and all the results get posted. All the results get posted all the time. And so, you know, and people, you know, I don't think most teams would appreciate that you have a, a competition every day and you had a bad day and everyone gets to see that you finished last, but everyone gets to see, you know, how everyone performed. And that's, that's a huge motivator when everyone sees that you, you were the last it's, it's, it's funny in retrospect, um, you know, you look back and you're like, well, somebody has to be last, you know, it, let's say you're, you know, you're on the all-star football team you're, and you got picked last to be on the all-star team. It doesn't mean you're bad. Someone has to be last. Like you're, you were the worst shooter. You were the worst shooter at the best shooting unit in the world. Boo hoo. But that's obviously not how you take it at the time. You know, those guys, you, you, you finish in like the bottom five. You'll see that those, those five guys will be at the range for hours every day until they get a chance to, to prove themselves again. So really to answer that question, I, it, it, it goes back that not everyone has the, the leniency of doing this, but selecting the right person for the job. Yeah. And that's, Nobody's going to know you better than you, right? Right. Yeah. You know, of course, it's always good to take an objective view from someone who's close to you or someone who may know more than you to help you develop those certain skills. But the fact of the matter is, is especially in the law enforcement profession, we may not have that much kind of overwatch. We don't have like our things aren't posted like that yet. You know, at least for the most part, as it pertains right. to just like everyday work, right? So, you know, the ability to be able to self-assess, I think, is is super critical. And I'm assuming you guys just get there through the hours and, and years of training you do to get to where you are. Yeah. I, I did say it was like a rock, a poor man's rock star lifestyle. Um, but that's like, that's poor con- compared to rock stars compared to other, you know, tactical units. We were filthy rich. I had all the assets and resources I needed to go train all the ammo, the ranges, you know, three sets of nods, 10 guns. I, I wanted nothing, you know, when, when it came to that. But I could actually probably give you a better answer. So how did you motivate people? That happened a little bit more uh, where I came from uh, in SF, you know, and as I started becoming a more of a senior person on the, on my ODA team, you know, I had to mold the junior guys to be, you know, to fit the culture we wanted and race the standards that we wanted. And I think it's important the way, the way I did that. Some people just say, Hey, your O course time sucks. Get better at the O course. Thanks for the help. Like, what, right. what does that mean? You know, right. hey, your PT score sucks. Get better, your, you know, get stronger. Don't get me wrong. I don't think you need to, you know, I'm not going to wake up with you and, and show you how to work out. But I think the more important thing is tangible goals and, and realistic goals and measurable goals. So we had a SWAT style O course uh, near our SF training facility. Say, so, hey, you ran a five minute O course time. That's not fast enough. Next month, you need to run a four minute 45 O course time. And you need to work on the technique on the A frame. That's where you're going to get it. I'm not going to tell them how to do it. I'm, if, if it's too big, I might tell them how. But just tangible, tangible results. Most people just say, get better, do better at your job. Start incrementally, something that you can actually assess that's measurable to say, yes, I was better at my job. 
And the other thing is not to go too far. You just have guys like, I want to score a 350 on my PT test, you know, and, you know, a max is 300. No one scores a 350. Why don't you right. score a 310 first and then, and then we'll work up to 350. Right. So I think people are just bad. Even really motivated people sometimes are bad at setting goals. I would agree with that. You know, I do struggle. Well, it, it case pertain to fitness, you know, grappling skills, business, right? Like we always try to set, you know, business goals. I mean, that's something that I'm still learning too. So, yeah. and, and, you know, you, you brought up a really good point too, as a leader, like your goal, your goal is to obviously develop the best team, right? That is, that is your goal. And in order to have the best team, you have to have the best and the right individuals, right? That's, yeah. that, that's, that's always a goal there. So, you know, giving them that guidance, if you have the ability to give somebody guidance and they're willing to listen to that guidance, then that's, I think that's where, uh, you know, a lot of leadership and law enforcement fails. They don't mind pointing a finger and then that's about all they do. Right. And it's not like, well, how can I get better? It's, it's like, well, can you give me some resources to get better? Can you at least point me in the right fucking direction? Like just, okay, cool. I fucked up. Okay. Noted. Thank you. But how can I not fuck up again? Or how can I get better? And that's kind of where, I feel like, you know, just like you said, if you train at a high level, you know, either you're, you're going to be able to self-assess that and then you're going to know the direction to go in. But if you don't know, like guys that are are new, like day one in the army, right? Like yeah. you probably weren't like, man, I know everything about Delta. <laughs> <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's, I want to go back. Like, what did you go in the army as? Like what was your intended goal when you, when you enlisted? <laughs> so the, uh, I, I took the, the, the military's strangest road to the top by <laughs> enlisting in the uh, in the National Guard uh, and and air defense. So like Stinger missile operator. It's actually very very ironic job because uh, I signed up because of nine eleven. It's the reason why I signed up, and I didn't know what to, what I where I wanted to go. So recruiter said this is where we need people. I said okay. So the National Guard air defense is where is where I went. The Taliban doesn't have helicopters or airplanes. So to go into that job because of 9-11 wasn't, wasn't really going to get the revenge that, uh, that I was looking for. So it didn't take long in that job. As soon as I got there, again, I, I couldn't be that guy, that new guy that shows up and be like, so you guys going to kill anyone? Because that just sounds odd, even though I knew they weren't. So uh, I was at, we had a unit that just got back from Afghanistan uh, I said, hey, how was it? How was the deployment? Was it crazy? They're like, we're air defense. All I did was guard a gate the whole time. And I was like, whew, that is not why I signed up. I said, well, man, who was, who was out there? Like, who was out there getting it? Like, who was? He's like, oh, man, they tell these crazy stories. Oh, these Green Berets, man, they'd come in from missions, blood all over their trucks and big beards. And I, you know, and you know, we have to ask everyone for an ID. It's our job. And we'd be like, ID sergeant. And they did, and they'd just be like, "F you, open the gate." And so we do it. <laughs> He's like, "Those guys were crazy." And I was like, "Man," which sounds like the world's worst recruiting video. Um, and I was like, "Man, that's I can be that a hole. I, I can do that. That's what yeah. I want to do." <laughs> um, and they're like, and they're basically like, "Shut up, kid." You, you know, no one from air defense is going to special forces. We send, you know, we've sent. 10 people before they all come back. This isn't how you get there. And uh, I put up a stink and said, no, I, I think I can. And they literally told me, stop asking. We're not sending another person just to fail. And to be honest with you, it was one of the best things that could have happened to me because I eventually 
cried about it for so long. They're like, fine, we'll send this guy just to shut him up. Uh, and there was no way that I could quit because I had raised such a stink about right. them not sending me. Right. So when it sucked at its absolute worst, I was like, nope, quitting isn't an option. It's too embarrassing to go back to my old unit and prove them <laughs> right. So it ended up being uh, an absolute blessing that they were such dicks to me. So I, I go to SF. Um, there, I'm there for a uh, for a few years. Get to go to the dive team, and if you know, if, if you're a stud, that's usually where all the studs hang out. The dive team, it's, you know, it's it, it's still this day part of the hardest military school I went to. Uh, even though there's not a real, really a real world dive mission, but there's just something about you know the guys that'll uh, succeed in that type of environment and are willing to go the extra mile that just draws kind of extra a type personalities. I went there. I still keep in touch with those guys worked with some of the best dudes in my career. I had some of the best deployments in my career on that, on that SF dive team. And it's funny. We we're talking about earlier, the right guy for the, for the job, the right guy, not the best guy. I wasn't the best guy. I'm ODA. There, there were two, if not maybe three people better than me on my SF team. And that's not being humble. That's a fact. I was just the one that went to selection. I don't know why the others, you know, didn't. They could have, uh, and they would have made it. And I didn't make it when my first time at selection. I went to selection the first time. I just wanted to not go through my military career wondering, you know, how far I could have got. Um, so I didn't even go to selection. Going, I'm the best here. I deserve to go there, and I'm, and I'm gonna, and I'm, and so that, you know, that's where I belong. I went there just trying to test myself, see how far I could go. And when I got there, there were some really big men there and some really big studs there. And I, and I immediately thought, and it's, it's the same thought process I had really my whole career. Well, I don't think I'm the best here, but I know I'm not the worst. And when people start falling out, I'll be okay until enough people fall out where I'm the worst. And then I'll, then I'll start to worry. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I made it through, you know, it's, a, it's, about, it's about a month long course. Uh, I made it you know, almost to the, almost to the very end. And I and I actually knew I knew where where I'd messed up. I go to the uh, to the to the commander interview at the end, and he's like, "Hey, how do you think you did?" And I was like, "To be honest with you, sir, I think I did really well." I said, "I I, I know this is where I messed up, and if it wasn't for that, I, I'd, I'd I'd be standing here at the end." He goes, "Okay, um, what do you want to do?" I said, "If you'll allow me, I'm." I believe you guys run this course, you know, every so often. I said, uh, at that very next course, I want to be there if you'll let me. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to kick this course in the ass. And he kind of chuckled a little bit. He goes, oh, this, is, this is big words from a guy who just failed the course. <laughs> Fair. Fair. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. And I go, and it kind of made me chuckle too. I was like, uh, yeah. I said, I, I know it is. Um, but I, uh, again, I, you know, I've seen, I've seen it. And I know where I messed up and I know what I need to work on. And he goes, he goes, all right. He goes, we don't invite people back. He goes, in fact, there's only two people I'm considering bringing back. And he goes, you're one of them. I'll see, I'll, I'll see you when so-and-so months and uh, we'll, 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 we'll see, we'll see how that works out. And it, it, again, great motivator. I, I went back home. I rucked three times a week, worked out four times a week. I was on a training plan that, could not be moved. 
Uh, you know, I, I lived in Florida at the time. It's summer. It's too hot to rut 20 miles during the day. You just, you know, you, you can't drink enough water. Right. So I'd, I would train at night. And while my friends are out drinking on Friday nights, I got, I got headphones on and a 55 pound ruck and I'm just walking for hours, you know, and that was, that was my Friday night. Saturday would come around. My friends want to go drinking. I can't go drinking. You know, I got to work out Saturday and then I have to fully recover, you know, from, from Friday's long ruck. And I got a ruck Monday. I didn't party for, you know, for, for six months or almost hang out with my friends. All I did was work out and ruck and eat right. I learned that I'm in Florida and I have to do, figure out some way to replicate the mountains because the mountains kick my ass. Um, and there's really no way to, 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 you know, to duplicate that. Like your, your muscles have to feel that. Um, had a good friend of mine that was a uh, wildlife uh, officer and he would unlock the fire towers. You know, those fire towers are in the middle yeah. Of, yeah. of the woods. And I would just go to the fire towers, uh, you know, and just walk up and down them and walk up and down them and walk yeah. up and down them with my, with my backpack on for, for hours trying to replicate mountains. That's uh that's really tough to do in Florida, right? Because I'm in South Carolina. We have uh, we have bridges. That's about the extent of elevation that we have here. Yeah, we got nothing. I mean, I'm to I, I bet a road doesn't go up ten feet in a stretch of, of twenty <laughs> yeah. miles. Like, but it's it's right. flat. Effective Fitness Combatives has multiple in person courses available: Texas, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, South Carolina, California, New Jersey, and Florida. Many more to come. Some classes are going to be open for a limited time as they do fill up relatively quickly. We have four-day instructor courses, which seems to be the most popular, two-day end-user courses, weapons-based entanglements, and of course, custom courses for you or your agency. Courses are post-certified in multiple states. For more information, click the link in the show notes for course breakdown and schedule. Online training and certifications are coming soon. Email J at efcombatives.com. That's J-J-A-Y at efcombatives.com for questions or to schedule a course. You know, the fact that the commander was able to see something in you that he believed that you were the right person, right? Again, you obviously weren't the best because you wouldn't have failed if you were the best, <laughs> right? That's a fact, right. But That's like, unfortunately, again, true. right. But the fact yeah. that you're the right person and you're like, I just... I would just want to come back. And the fact that, you know, after putting yourself through, I would assume what was not fun stuff right? to then do it all over again, takes a, takes a little bit of crazy yeah, and a little bit of motivation. Right. So I think that's, uh, I think that's super inspiring. So, you know, so you get to the unit, you do what you do there. And then, you know, let's talk about probably the year prior to you leaving. What was that adjustment? Like, uh, I guess getting ready for civilian life. <sighs> To be honest, that, that was, it was both difficult and I was ready for it. And, 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 and this aspect, you know, the, the good times at the unit, everyone wants to get on a helicopter one more time in the middle of the night. Nothing I do in life will ever replace that. You know, it's just having the world's most wealthy nation, you know, at your back with resources unimaginable and fast movers, you know, stacked to the sky, ISR, the world's most expensive nods on your head, you know, the, the world's most amazing teammates behind you, you almost feel invincible and, and, and just ready to do justice to the world's worst people. And it's addicting. And I'll always, always dream about doing it one more time. And, uh, you know, and people are like, well, 
that seems like the worst thing you'd want to do one more time. Right? Don't you think you're rolling the dice every time and you could get shot? I was like, you know, just that's not what I think about when I step off that helicopter. You know, <laughs> it's that's a yeah, that's a that's a timid mindset that I, I can't even wrap my mind around. Um, so no, so you know, I I, <laughs> I, I wanted that, um, but you know, I I got four kids and a wife, and you know, it's getting and they're getting older. You know, and they're unfortunately we, we you know things do happen to us. You know, and they're going to a funeral every year. You know, the, a couple of deployments before that, you know, I'd, I'd got shot a couple of times and, and, and hit by a grenade and had to had to get sent home to a, to a hospital, you know, and my kids are now remembering, you know, daddy in the hospital, daddy going through physical therapy, uh, you know, other people are getting shot. Is this going to happen to daddy again? I mean, those, those things just, it weighs, it weighs heavily. I remember those appointments feeling like they were two years long, you know, being away from the family. In contrast, when I was you know, a young single guy, you know, I wish I wish the deployment would never end. I'd, I'd just live out there, if, you know, if they'd let me. So towards the end of my career, you know, you always you want both, but they they can't they can't coexist. So I was coming towards the end of my of my team time anyway. I didn't want after that, you know, there's only desk desk jobs to be had. The wars were starting to go away. I know it sounds like a, a kind of a odd war junkie thing to say, but if there, you know, if there really aren't wars, obviously that the unit will still be useful and they'll be the only ones still working, but you know, how long in between missions wasn't enough for me. So I got out, you know, I just, uh, I was ready to get out and do exciting new things again. So, so it was tough and I was ready at the same time. Yeah. You're uh you sound like Bob, you know, he, he was, he almost said the same thing you did. He's like, I just wanted to keep going back. He's like, I'd lived over there. If they could, you know, but you know, he, he was like, he was like, Oh no, man, I was always looking for the next gunfight. Like he's like, he's like, man, if I didn't go on a mission and they did it and they came back and he's like, man, I would, I would, I would, you know, have FOMO like the fear of missing out type deal. And, uh, yeah. he's like, yeah, man, I was always looking for the next one. And just like he said, he's like, you don't think about it. Like you don't think about it. Just like you said, you don't think about this kind of, that, just like you said, that kind of timid mindset. And I, I hate when people say, uh, you know, again, I'm not comparing the unit to law enforcement by any means, but I hate when people say like, well, they signed up for that. It's like, no, 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 they didn't sign up to get shot by any means. Like, you didn't <laughs> sign up, you know, in the army to get shot. Yeah, like right. cops don't sign up to right. get shot. So I hate when people say, oh, well, it's just part of the job. I mean, it's a, it's a risk of the job. Yes. Right. Yes. Understandably so. But it's yeah. not, it's not the reason yeah. why. It, exactly. And it up. seems like we're splitting hairs, but you're absolutely right. That, you know, it's a, it's a risk of the job that you take. But, you know, when, when someone asks me, why did you sign up? If that was true, then someone's answer would be, oh, I signed up to get shot at. <laughs> that, that's not true. So that is not, that's not why they signed up. They signed up to make a difference. They signed up for job satisfaction. They signed up to protect a community, a nation. That's why you signed up. But the other things are just things you have to accept but it's not why you signed up. I, it's funny you say that. I, I hate that saying as well. Cause it's yeah, so- it, it makes no sense. Like I signed up <laughs> right. because I wanted to help people and I wasn't smart enough to be a doctor. Right? <laughs> it's like, what's, what's the next thing? We got that thing? in common. Yeah. I was like, all right, yeah. cool. I'll be a cop. Um, yeah. Cause I was like, there's no way I'm being a firefighter cause I'm good. And there's no way I could be a paramedic because I'm also good. And I'm probably not that smart. They probably don't want me, yeah. you know, starting IVs and shit. So I was like, man, I'll be a cop. That's great. And so here I am. Right. Um, yeah. 
and, and again, I'm, I'm kind of like you, I, you know, cause I left, uh, you know, about two years ago and I miss it. Um, uh, I missed all time, you know, luckily I, I still feel like I'm giving back. I still teach cops defensive tactics, uh, yep. you know, jujitsu grappling once a week for free with another cop who's a former police officer as well. He's got 26 years on Jeff Robertson. He's a black belt and man, it's, it, it's, it, you know, it still feels good to be involved in the community. And that kind of is kind of what I want to transition into is, you know, you got out, you have a lot of things going on, right? You do a lot. Yep. First and foremost, you're your husband and a dad, which is, I think personally is the coolest fucking job on the face of this earth is raising another human or humans. Right. Super cool job. So on top of that, you've also started a coffee company and you also do uh, some work with human trafficking and stuff like that as well. Yeah. Um, since getting out, just, you know, walk you through, like, I don't know, kind of how, how it came to pass. Uh, I first started out uh, doing contracting work, just, you know, 1099 work. I can fill up my time with, you know, random jobs and, and, and it paid okay, but you're gone a lot with it. And it's either a lot of work, which is good because you're making some money, but you're gone. You know, there's no real way to make money at the house, but it is a good way to transition and figure out what you want to do when you grow up. And, uh, and, and that's, <laughs> and, and that's what I did. And the, uh, it was velocity training and the, the owner, uh, or the partners, two owners and the partner of uh, velocity training, Rob taught me a ton about business. He, he was always, you know, wanted me to be a program manager and, and taught me a lot. Always took out time to not just give me an answer, but explain why this is the answer. These are the words you use. This is the, what the meaning of that word is and why you don't use this word. Just, he was a great mentor in that aspect. But I also knew I was going to do that for forever because it, it just, it's like, it's kind of like my last job. I'm just, I'm just gone all the time. So I met a guy from uh, tier one side of the Navy uh, while doing contracts. And it was during the defund the police movement. And he said, Hey, this is, this is crazy. Like these guys, just like we talked about, they need to rehash it. But you know, these guys do the hardest job for, for the least amount of pay. And this is how we treat them. This is crazy. You know, we, you know and, and half the time it's really not even their fault. It's either a training, you know, uh, a trainingism that they just didn't get the proper resources and training, or we just get, didn't give them the benefit of the doubt that, I don't know, maybe you wouldn't have made a much better decision had you been put in that situation. Just the right. lack of empathy towards cops drives yeah. me crazy. Yeah. So we started a nonprofit called Blue Force Strategies with the the sole goal in mind to raise money and uh, it's, it's almost naive if you think about it, but basically two guys when we started, were like, well, if you're going to defund the cops, we're going to fund the cops. Um, and just off that mindset, we ended up pulling in a third guy Fitz. He's a uh, super, he was, he was retired. He was a superintendent of Boston. And so that kind of rounded us out. We have a senior police guy. We have a tier one Navy guy and a tier one army guy. Let's, let's see what we can do. We started a website first and then, then we were going to start fundraising and we started getting requests. Hey, can you train us? Can you train us? So with no money in the coffers, but the request comes out, you know, we, we go and start, start training people. And uh, this, this nonprofit turned into a, a money losing venture, uh, right. which we which we were, we were okay with because the mission wasn't, wasn't to make money. But at the end of the day, I, I can't, I'm just, a, I'm just a, still, a, I'm a military retired guy. I can't, I can't keep costing me money, but, uh, no, a hundred percent, man. So, uh, we said, Hey, we need to do a fundraiser one sooner than later. Cause we're not going to tell anyone no. And then I had that idea. I said, or we can start our own venture to raise money for these causes 
because I don't like going around asking people for their money. Same. It, uh, it took a little bit. We ended up doing a fundraiser first, and we, we did well up in the Boston area, and we started training, uh, and, it's, and it's, been, it's been great. But my idea to raise money was, you know, first responder coffee company. I looked. I, I know people think, oh, another coffee company. But the truth is I, I've trained cops for almost a year at that point, uh, either full-time or part-time, and I couldn't name one coffee company. You know, for for police or or firemen or we also do EMS. Now that I'm in the space, I could I can name I can name six, but still to this day you and then you could probably name three, four, five, sure. six off the top of your head. You're in the space, but you go to the average even patrolman, they they can't name one. If they can, maybe it's maybe it's that company out of Utah that you know that really is a military inspired one who's just trying to you know go into this space because it's open. And so because of that, we said, we, we think this is a space that deserves to be occupied. It's a space that it's a brand that they can actually relate to. And more importantly, that will give back to them and fund them. And I'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Besides that, I also you know work uh, with a hu- anti-human trafficking specific for child sex trafficking foundation. So between all that, Every now and then I get a call, and I've been to Ukraine a couple times. Sounds cliche, but saving babies. Uh, that's where that's where they're doing saving yeah, babies. It's important, or, man. Uh, saving kids or or any family that that wasn't able to get out. Uh, we also saved a couple of Americans that were over there fighting and got shot because DOD is you know, especially when we were there early, was not in Ukraine. So the embassy was calling us saying, "Hey, there's a hurt American in this hospital." And the Russians are, are heading that way. Can you get to them before the Russians? And I'm thinking, you're calling me? What? I used to work for a, I used to work for a unit that does this. Uh, I, why, don't, why don't you call them? But you know, it's you know, we're in this weird political space where we don't really we're not going to get directly involved. And uh, so you know, we we're, we're able to do good things. It even saved wounded Americans out of uh, pull wounded Americans out of hospitals and get them back over to friendly lines. And also, you know, we do a lot in South America. We've done things in Haiti and, and Thailand. So we, it, I stay busy. I stay yeah. busy. It's almost like the government doesn't want. This is not going to. This is not going to turn into some anti-government thing by any means. But, <laughs> but this is. But it's almost like the government wants the people to do the work because they don't want to because they're worried about backlash, which is super interesting as to why we pay taxes. But regardless. You know, the fact that you're doing these things, I think is, I think is amazing. And you're very humble about it, which I think is, which I think is great. And I think that, you know, your service, although just like you said, I would do anything to go on one more mission is again, I'm, I'm not comparing the jobs, but I'm comparing the feeling of, you know, I look at my badge sitting up there on my shelf right there and it just sits there now. It doesn't do anything. It, 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 it's just a chunk of metal, you know, in a leather bound it sits there, but it also reminds me of just there's there is a greater mission out there, and there's other people that still need that do still wear that badge that that does mean something, and that does put in the work, and that does keep me and my family safe, and keeps you and your family yeah, safe, one hundred percent. And I think it is time that we actually actually back law enforcement, not saying not not by just saying it or hanging a, a flag or you know saying yeah liberals are dumb or yeah yeah they are, but <laughs> but. But this the fact of the matter is like we need action. We need we need tangible. And just like you said, like hey, this you know company you started was losing money, and I, I, and 
yet you were still mission driven to get it done. And I think people need to understand that in order to train police, you have to have a strategy, you have to have resources, you have to have capital in order to do that. Because without any of that, your thoughts and your feelings do nothing to benefit. And so the fact that you're taking action, you started a coffee company from basically nothing. Yeah, um, absolutely is, nothing. Is, is huge. And so I can relate to that by starting uh, you know, a fitness and health and wellness company and a <laughs> right. combatives company from absolutely yeah. nothing and developing it into what we hope one day to be the new standard for law enforcement training. So yep. with that being said, what specifically are you guys doing in order to increase the ability for cops to train? This started about training cops. Now, since then, the reason why we call ourselves First Responder Coffee Company is as much as you know, cops need help. There's no reason to not help firefighters. Uh, we we also actually broke the the lineup to cops, sheriff's deputies. Used to get to do a lot of free training to Orange County SWAT team, and they made a joke. They're like, uh, when I I told them this is something I was thinking about doing, and they're like, you better not make us drink anything called Blue Line Coffee. Like, yeah, we're <laughs> we're deputies. You understand that, right? I'm like, yes, I uh, I understand that. Big difference, man. <laughs> Right. And, uh, and when I came out with you know our line and had a deputy bag, they were like, that was just a joke. That's crazy. That was so cool. That was so cool. You did, but you're know, coming from the army that, that actually hit home, you know, for me, like, yeah. don't, don't call me a Marine, you know, don't, you know, or vice versa. Like, and they're both in law enforcement, but they're very different. Right. Uh, but besides that and, and EMS, you know, it was another bag that, and that, that we wanted to do. We talked about this, you know, before the podcast, and to me, you want to talk about one of the most unsung heroes of the first responder community. No one's making movies about them. No one's no one's getting famous uh, from that. And what those guys see in the back of an ambulance, day in, day out, have to live with. I I, I honestly can't imagine. So we, we cover the bases and each, and that's why we have a bag for each, because anytime you buy that bag, portions of that sales goes to that community. So let's talk about this is you know law enforcement focused podcast. Sure. Let's talk about what we do for law enforcement, and it's not just a, a bag of a co- every every bag, t shirt, hat, coffee mug. If it leaves our store, there is donations attached to it towards the first responder uh, community. So we always have two different things that we're trying to do. We have our specific cause, and if you go to our our website frccoffee.com, you'll see this. Our specific mission right now is to give as much as we can to deputy Sean Altman. He was a Polk County Sheriff deputy. He was on shift, literally saving other people from their houses during the hurricane while his house was getting flooded and destroyed. He comes off shift and his house is destroyed and his wife, nine kids and three dogs have to go find a place to to go. Jesus. Just a heartbreaking story. Um, I hear about it and I said, you know what? That's our first specific mission. We're about to go to SWAT Roundup uh, here in November. Everything, not just retail profits or a portion, everything uh, we sell in coffee at SWAT Roundup is going to go to uh, Sean Allman's family. Our goal is to cut them the biggest check possible right before Christmas. So that's our specific goal. And when we cut and when we mark that one off the list, we're going to find the next one, and that'll be a, that'll be our next story. So we'll always have a specific goal that you can donate to at the website or that when we go to conventions or roundups or whatever it is, that booth will be going towards a specific fundraising goal. Besides that, we always have our general goal or or, I kind of call it the charity coffers. So 
when we do sell bags, shirts, hats, that the proceeds from there go to the charity coffers. And we have several things we want to do, but mainly to, so it's not a three hour interview is do like a, a grant program for, for law enforcement, which says, Hey, do you want to go to us? You want to go to training, but your, your department one won't pay for it. Apply to us. We'll pay for it. And as long as there's money in the coffers, we'll, we'll send as many people to training as possible. And people have asked me, Oh, you know, are you going to send them to, and there, cause there's certain training complexes that are, that are, that are signed up to be retailers for our coffee. You know, are you going to send them to those since you're partnered with them? And the answer is always, I, I have no intention to send them or funnel them anywhere. They know the training they want. They know the type of training they want. I, I don't know it better than, than they do. I will send them to whatever training that, that they want to go to. So that's uh, generally speaking, to make it really short, that, that sums up our, our, our charitable programs and, and how we intend to, uh, to carry them out. And that's super important because that directly impacts the overall goal of uh, people like you and I and many others out there, which is to enhance law enforcement and is to make them better, to give them resources in order to do that. And that, you know, there's one more thing that you, know, you talked about, uh, you were talking about before, and we were talking about resources. The other thing we, we have, and we do it with Blue Force Strategy, we have to change the culture of the, of the command in, in law enforcement. And what I mean by that, not just the culture of giving, empowering the officers on the ground. I know it's an it's a easy thing to beat people up on, Uvalde. People can't be waiting for, you know, the word go. They have to know what they, they can't. They can't be afraid of action because of losing their job. Um, that is definitely one thing, but that's very, that's a very hard thing to change. Um, and I'm not saying don't fight it, but the other thing that we have to change is the amount of training hours we allow a patrolman to have. The average patrolman has 10 hours of training a year. Yeah, I know. I'm aware. I was there. Yeah, and some people, when you start talking about this, like, okay, well, they go to the range for 10 hours. I mean, they need to go. No, that's not 10 hours of range time. When they say training, that's equal opportunity training, sexual harassment training, going to the range training, how to properly gender identify someone training. Like this is the, that, that is all within your training average of 10 hours. We've got I mean, I, I know they're not going to be you know, at the unit and, you know, train for three months to do one mission, but we've got to put an emphasis more on training. And it doesn't even have to be expensive training where you go to schools. It can be in-house, you know, train the trainer, but we have to change that culture where we, we put some sort of more focus on training and a lot of time towards it. It's so, it's so important. And, you know, I trained jujitsu, you know, I've been trained jujitsu for quite some time. You know, I've, I've really dedicated my life to it here at this point. And, you know, we teach a free class every Wednesday at 1030 at Fala Jiu-Jitsu. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, is that cops show up and 100% on their own time. Yeah. Right. They're not on duty. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, oh, I don't have time, whatever the, you know, whatever the excuse may be. That's when we go back to talking about being the right person. Yeah. Right. Like most of them have kids. Most of them are married. One of them brings their kid. To jiu-jitsu class, right? Or, you know, to the yeah. you know, to the class because he's like, "Hey, you know, this is my day off. My wife has to work, and so I have to bring my I have to bring, bring my four year old." Dude, yeah. t- totally fine. We understand. Bring her. You know what I mean? And it's so it's just so important. It's like you said, 
from the leadership aspect of it, we get, you know, comments all the time. I've, Hey man, I keep putting it for training. Or sometimes when they try to do training on their own and it has to be approved, they won't go because it's not some approved course. Even if yeah. they want to take their own time and their own money on, on their day off, they can't go because yeah. their agency will let it. And then they're worried about recourse. It's like you said, the whole thing with Texas, yeah. right. you know, that was just a, that was a clusterfuck of a situation. That was just a yeah. terrible, you know, sure. Call them cowards, call them whatever, call, you know, call poor leadership. You can, you can check all those boxes. Right. But just yeah. like you said, that isolated incident aside, you still have guys that are super scared to go hands-on, super scared to use whatever force they need to use necessary to stop the situation or control the situation. And yeah. it's simply because of the environment they're in. I don't want to make the news. I don't want to get fired. I just want to go home. That, you know, we, we want to talk about leadership and it's, it, uh, this is, this is my take on it. Again, this is how I can tell you what I think the problems are after, you know, working a lot with, with uh, law enforcement. And it's the same problems that the military has as well. I can identify it. Um, how do you fix it? It's another whole nother conversation. But one of the, I feel the, the bigger problems that leadership has in, in law enforcement is the way law enforcement promotes leaders. So to be an effective leader, we can just take it a step back. I couldn't tell the guy that he needs to run a three-minute O-course time if I couldn't run a three-minute O-course time. So the only reason as a leader I can tell people what they want to do and how to do it I had to have been able to hold that standard and understand the job myself. And when law enforcement doesn't promote from within and promote off of performance, you get this leadership that they either don't know what the standard is, so they fall back on just safety and regulations, or they can't enforce a high standard because they can't meet the standard themselves. And I, I just see that repeating. And again, I feel like it's easy to identify, but it's, that's a whole nother podcast on how to fix that. So Brent, so what do you guys have going on currently right now with FRCC? It's this beginning of November. We just launched the website officially. We have pre-sales going on right now. Uh, pre-sales are pre-sales have been, have been good. We officially launch November 15th the website will be completely up and running. You know, uh, orders will be shipped out same day. That's on the business side of things. I should talk more about the business, but again, the, the coffee is kind of a vehicle for, for the good things. So more importantly, we have a, uh, we're going to SWAT roundup. All proceeds will go to the Altman's. We, we partner with canines United. It, d- dogs have literally saved my life. And when I found out that canines United has a foundation, we immediately partnered with them and we're going to do a, uh, a collaboration and a whole actually getting ahead of ourselves, but a dog line so we can help fund canine handlers. All the proceeds will go to that. We're just, we're just hitting the, hitting the trail running, trying to go to as many places as possible, get our, our name out there. So at the end of the day, you can have, you can have great coffee. You can have a great mission. You can have all these things you want to do, but if no one knows who you are and how, and how to buy from you, you just, you know, you'll just die on the vine. So, so, so we're just hustling. Yeah. And this is even more of a reason to support you. This is where a lot of guys, you know, I still get, I still get flack from it. Oh, you're just trying to sell me something, bro. Money is a necessary, is is the blood of a business, whether it's a nonprofit or a profit, whatever it is. If your goal is to get something done, it's going to take money. 
It right. has to take money. And, that, and that's what is, and this is, and it's super important to invest your money wisely if you're a mission driven person. I, I value my time, but I also value my money. Right. Yeah. So it's like, if I'm going to invest in something, if I'm going to drink coffee anyways, right, why not benefit something that is bigger than myself? Right. And so this is, you know, this is why I'm very excited to see, to see where you guys go. Uh, you know, you guys obviously have my support. We're going to put the link to your website in the show notes uh, where people can go and buy coffee um, and ask, you know, and can also visit your website. And I hope, I hope those that are listening really listen to, to what Brent's saying and, and really dive into first responder coffee company. Cause it's not just him. It's also a conglomerate of other first responders that are active law enforcement. I'm really excited. So you said you're going to be at SWAT roundup. You guys have any yep. other, uh, conferences or workshops or anything like that, that, uh, that you guys are going to be in. We're USDSA is, uh, is opening up soon. That's the United States Sheriff Deputy Association. They have a training facility opening up in Kansas end of November. Uh, we'll be there for that. Ben Franklin range is another special operations slash law enforcement owned, uh, venture that they're opening up a training range up in, uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, that's also the end of November. We'll be there for that. Uh, Trinity training complex is probably the largest training complex in, uh, in the New York area. They're out of, they're, you know, they're off Staten Island. They just opened, uh, we'll be going down there for that. We're, we're just, we're just hustling. We're going anywhere and everywhere that we can get the message out. And so people can hear what we're doing, but more importantly, you know, know how we're supporting them back. It gets to a point sometimes where someone will go, oh, that's awesome. Um, what what type of coffee do you sell? That We've talked so much about the charities. I never even, you know, we, they don't even know what the coffee is, which is a horrible salesman of me sure, you know, to do sure. that. You know, right. you know it's, it's 100% Arabica uh, Brazilian uh, roasted beans, uh, 100% organic, uh, responsibly resourced. Uh, you, you can go down that, you know, that whole thing and we're, sure. 58 minutes into the podcast and I finally actually talked about the, the coffee itself. <laughs> hey man, this thing is, is, you know, we'll have you back. Uh, absolutely no worries there. I think, I think the story behind uh, what you do is also just as important, if not more important, because it just kind of confirms who you are as a person. It confirms what kind of coffee company that you're running. And I think that's, yeah. that's the best selling tactic you can have. Uh, that's um, and that's, and I'm very grateful for what you've done for this country. I know you hear it all the time. I'm also grateful for what you do for law enforcement and the vehicle in which you've created. Um, I know what it's like to start a business and not knowing a lot about business and then trying to make it <laughs> successful and also being mission driven because I think yeah. that's where if you guys want some free business advice from this podcast, if you haven't taken anything away, being mission driven should drive your company having core values. You should hire and fire based on those core values because that's what's going to there's no other option. Yeah. You can't fake uh, authenticity. No, you can, you no, can you have, can't. you can say what you're going to do. People will figure out what, what, what you've done at some point and it will, and it will collapse. People see through it. Uh, I'm a firm believer in that. Awesome. Words from the man himself. Brent, thank you so much for your time, <laughs> brother. And uh, we'll have you back. Awesome. Thank you so much, Adam. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to follow Brent, his links will be in the show notes below. There's also a link to First Responder Coffee Company if you have any questions for him about that. If you like the episode, you can help us out by leaving a five-star review and subscribing to the podcast so you never miss an episode. 
New episodes launch on Monday every other week.